wow, what, I'm supposed to follow that? Hey, what's up, y'all? Y'all boring, man. No, I'm just teasing. Hey, what's up? My, my name's Cole. Um, I, I get, I said this last week, but I get the amazing privilege and honor to, to lead and pastor our 6th through 12th grade students in Second Chance Students. Yes. Shouts out. My wife and I, we, we moved here a little over a year ago uh, now. Probably, I don't know, maybe closing on a year and a half now soon. But uh, we moved from Indiana to come down here and, and be a part of, of this family right here. And it's been so amazing. We like the South. I like no snow. <laughs> a huge fan of it, actually, to be honest with you. Um, I, but, yeah, we love this church. We love Pastor Perry. Y'all love Pastor Perry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's... He's watching online from the Bahamas, like Philip said, real rough life, you know, like sucks for him. It's really tough. Um, so we're just like praying a lot for him lately. Um, all that to say, real preacher will be back next week, y'all. So, you, But today you get me. This is awesome. Hey, I want to start today off with just a really profound, I'm being very sarcastic so far in this message, I'm going to continue here, but I'm going to start this message off with just a really profound uh, spiritual truth that I think many of you are going to agree with and many will probably say amen to, and it's this, it's that football is the greatest sport in the whole world, somebody. <sighs> I'd almost die for that statement, to be honest with you. No, I, 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 I do. I love football. I, I grew up in, in our house in Indiana. It was like we got two religions. On Sunday, we go to church. We worship Jesus. And the rest of the week, it's all about football. Now, here's the thing. We love college football down here in the South. Yeah, 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 yeah. I heard of Go Dogs. <laughs> I haven't. Uh, I'm not going to go there. Let me just, uh, we don't have college football, we don't have much of a showing from Indiana when it comes to college football. Just Notre Dame and come on, nobody really likes them. Amen? Yeah. I'm scoring brownie points. But for me, so because of that, we, we really, we're big NFL fans. And, and, and in the Farlow house, it was you either root for the Bears or you find somewhere else to live. I'm serious, big, big Chicago Bears fans uh, all uh, of my life. And so for me, I, I was born in 1993, and so I grew up hearing stories about what is easily the greatest football time in the history of the sport, the 1985 Chicago Bears, all right? Yeah, thank you. I almost got booed last service, and I was, so I'm feeling a little insecure, so thank you. The 85 Bears. So on that team was a guy named Walter Payton, and he was, he was a running back. And so as I grew up, this guy was kind of like my hero. Um, and he, he sadly died when I was only six years old. But I always, I always watched videos of this guy playing, and I just, I just really liked him. And so for me, as, as a young kid, my only goal, really, was that I wanted to play football someday, and I wanted to be a running back. The problem with that, let me get my remote, is that I looked like this. <laughs> I, and if you don't get it, this is not the shape of a running back. <laughs> Perfectly round. Fat, slow, and, and fat don't really make for a good running back. 
So I, I had this issue, but once third grade rolled around, I, I was really excited uh, because that was the first year that we were able to play tackle football. And so I, I remember, I'll never forget that day, the, the day that we could go and register and sign up for, for this league that I was going to be a part of. And I got in my dad's truck and, and we drove to the school and we're standing there waiting in line. And I, honestly, I, in my head, I'm thinking things like, oh man, I'm about to go to the league. Like I'm I'm going all the way. Mom, I'm buying you a house someday. I'm gonna have, we're going to have it all. This is the start of something beautiful. I was jacked, all right? Now, shortly after that, as we're moving through this line, uh, we're getting closer. And what I notice is that all these coaches are actually weighing the kids. I'm not joking. They're weighing the kids. You have to step on a scale. And what I quickly learned is that in this league, there was a weight limit when it came to carrying the ball. And this is a true story. I, I'm not making one bit of this up. And what happened is if you were over this weight, I don't remember exactly what it was, probably like 130 pounds or something. But if you were over the weight, you got this like big black tape stripe down the center of your helmet. So not only like you couldn't run the ball because you were fat, everybody knew it as well. <laughs> so I'm inching, I'm serious. I'm inching towards this like scale. And my heart, you guys, is just pounding. Now let me pause and say this just, you know, so I can not be afraid that you guys think I'm a loser after this. I ended up going on to play, you know, starting three years varsity as a running back someday. But for this, I will never forget this moment. And I'll tell you why. It's because for me in my life, even at that young of an age, I, I, I knew that there was this expectation that I was supposed to meet or exceed. And that, that was there, you know, because I put it on myself, but also even maybe a little because, you know, my dad had that expectation for me too. He always wanted me to be a great football player. But there was an expectation that I had. And before I even stepped on that scale, all I could think is that I am not good enough. Because of who I am, I've already failed. And I, like, I think there's probably many people here today that you, at some point in your life, you've felt that, right? Like, I, because of who I, there was an expectation for me to do this, and because of who I am or choices that I've made, I, I'm not good enough. I fell short. I don't stack up. Anybody felt that before? I don't know, maybe, maybe it's like in school you were supposed to do something. Maybe you thought by this time in your life I was going to have this job, making this amount of money. Or maybe for you, you had promised yourself and someone else that you would be in love forever and that didn't work out. And that's not a judgmental statement. I'm just, I, I want to meet you in those moments where we have these expectations for ourselves or other people have them for us and we fail to meet them. Like that's painful stuff. It is. And I won't go a step deeper with you here today is I, 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 maybe there's people in this room today also that you felt that spiritually. And for me, I, I grew up going to church. You know, I always kind of joke around like I was born on the front pew. We don't have pews here. Thank the Lord. <laughs> They're hard and uncomfortable. It's terrible. And they squeak when you jiggle your eye. Okay, let me move. I'm getting serious. My, I, actually, my medicine probably is wearing off by now. So, anyway, so where in the world was I? <laughs> I got to look at my notes. I'm actually literally completely lost right now. Um, oh, spiritually, 
Have you ever felt that spiritually? And so I grew up in church. And so I, I grew up and I knew David killed Goliath. And I knew that Jesus died on the cross. And I knew Noah built the boat. And so as I grew up uh, in church, I, I knew that there were things that I was supposed to be doing and things that I wasn't supposed to be doing. And that was the expectation that is for Christian. You know, that, that was to me the expectation that I was supposed to meet in my life. And I, I have felt so many times, and I know you guys will, will, will hear this, so many times like the standard for being a Christian, for following Jesus is up here, and every day I feel like I'm coming in down here. And that sucks. And today I want to I talk about, I want to dive into that a little bit. And I, I actually, I want to spend some time reading to you a story about the, the people that Jesus chose to keep around him in his inner circle. And I think it's going to really help us today. So let me, this is Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. And I'll just read this for us real quick. It says this. One day as Jesus was walking along the... Let me get closer. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee... He saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew. They were throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Important. Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee. That's a cool name. Repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Now, let me, there's two things that I notice about this passage right away. Number one, and this is biblical, and I'm about to prove it to you right here, is that Jesus clearly demonstrates for us that it is a good idea to have friends with boats. <laughs> Am I wrong? The first four guys he asked to be on his team all have boats. This is biblical. I've taken this and applied it to my life. This is funny. I, I joked about this last service. No joke. I had at least four people come up to me and say, hey, man, I got a boat. You want to come out? Yes. Every day. I'm teasing, obviously. But the second thing that I noticed about this, pa uh, this passage is that they get up and leave immediately. Like, I, I think we just assume that they would have known who Jesus was, but honestly, they, they had probably never even seen this guy before. Maybe they had, but they didn't know his name, and they definitely didn't know he was the son of God. And so I, it's just fascinating to me that a, ran, a random guy to, to these four would come up and say, follow me, and they would just leave their job, leave their dad behind immediately. Isn't that fascinating? And I think for us to really understand what's going on here in this story, we have to understand the Jewish school system. I know that sounds weird. You're like, that makes no sense. Stay with me. It's going to make a little bit more sense here in a second. But in the Jewish school system, there were like three levels. Okay, so kind of like it'd be the equivalent of us having like elementary, high school, college sort of thing. So there are three levels. And the first level of the Jewish school system is called Bet Sefer. And I'm so sorry. If you're a Hebrew scholar and I'm pronouncing this wrong, that's a weird word, but it's called Bet Sefer. And this level of school was actually for kids around the age of five all the way up to 10. And the goal of, of this school system was to, at, by the end of your five years in Bet Sefer, you were supposed to know by memory the entire Torah, which is just 
to Jewish people is their way of saying the first five books of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Is that not nuts? I quit already. <laughs> and somebody didn't even tell them some of those books are, not, are kind of boring, honestly. I'm not supposed to say it as a pastor. I probably just got canceled. It's okay. We're in the, never mind. So their, their goal by the end of these five years was to, to com- have the Torah completely memorized. Now, at the end of this school, what they would be told one of two things, really. One, uh, very, very, for very, very, very few amount of these students, they were told, you pass, you get to go on to the next level of school. Okay, Again, very small number. And for the other ones, the vast majority, over 90% of these kids at age 10 were told some version of, you didn't make it, you're not good enough, you don't know the Bible well enough, you're not a good enough Jew, you don't argue your faith well enough, all of those things, you didn't make it on to the next level And this is what they would tell them. It was tradition and custom for them to say something along the lines of, just go back to the family business. Just go back to whatever it is your dad does. And you want to know what those businesses were back then? Stuff like fishing. Stuff like fishing. And so this second level of schooling for the the ones that made it on past that first one is called Bet Midrash. And every time I say this, I think of like, it reminds me of like having a rash. It's not funny, I know, but it's just a weird word. Anyway, so the second level of schooling was for um, uh, kids that were like age 11 or 12 up to like 15. And in this uh, secondary school for them, basically they just continued to memorize what we know as the Old Testament. Pretty intense stuff, and they learned how to kind of reason their faith a little bit. And, and, and very similarly to the first one, many of these students at the end of this school at, of Midrash were told, hey, you don't have what it takes to move on to the next step. Just go back to the family business. You don't pray good enough. You don't, all of that stuff that you're supposed to do, you just don't do it well enough. You'll never make it here in the upper levels of Judaism. But for, again, very, very, very few of these students, they got the opportunity to approach what they called a rabbi. And a rabbi is just another word basically for teacher. And rabbis were basically really important, really smart Jews back in this society. And this kid, this 15-year-old kid, would approach this rabbi, and he would basically ask him, hey, I want you to mentor me. And so what happened is the rabbi would like start grilling this kid with questions. Like he, the goal here was to try to like trip this kid up because he wanted to see what, if he had what it took to be like in his group, to be his mentor or whatever. Does that make sense? So uh, after these questions, this question and answer session, the rabbi's testing this kid to see if he's good enough. If the rabbi, the rabbi has a choice then. He can say, hey, you know, go back to the family business or if he is accepted, there is a very common phrase that they would have used back then to, say, to signify, you are in. You are in. And so it, it's, it, and you can probably guess what it is. It's follow me. Follow me. This is what the rabbi would have said to the student if he passed 
two, level, two levels of school and got to continue to this third level called uh, Bet Talmud, which is essentially for 15 years, this kid was supposed to, and this is very custom for, in their culture, this kid for 15 years would leave his family, leave his family, leave it all behind, to follow this guy around for 15 years. And the goal of Bet Talmud was that by the end of this 15 years, I'm supposed to look exactly like my rabbi. And so it's really interesting. There are stories that, that historians have, have told or written about where like a rabbi would get hurt or like they're, I don't know, stub your toe or something. And they'd be walking with a limp. And this kid who's not hurt is walking close behind him with the same limp. Like that's how seriously they took this. And so it was a big honor to become a rabbi. Now, I'm getting to the, to the point of all this. Jesus, we know from the scripture, Jesus was a rabbi. He actually did all of these things. Otherwise, they wouldn't have called him rabbi. It's kind of interesting. And what ha- what's so fascinating to me about this passage that we read is Jesus, you know, he turns 30, he graduates rabbi school, uh, the, John the Baptist baptizes him, and on basically his first day of being a rabbi, He breaks every single rule, breaks every rule. Because on one hand, the student is supposed to approach the teacher and ask them, if I'm, am I good enough for you? He went to the guys and didn't, he didn't even test them. And secondly, these, these four people that he called and he said, follow me to did not deserve this. They were like the least deserving people of of this invitation to follow me in society. These people by Jewish leaders would have been considered like class A losers. For real. Like dumb, don't do anything right when it comes to religion. Like sinful, all this stuff. And Jesus walks up to him and he says, I want you. I want you. The person that, that doesn't deserve it, the person that, that every single religious person would say, you shouldn't, be, you shouldn't get this invitation, yeah, give me them. It's amazing. And so today, I don't, know, I don't know where you're at personally in your life, but I know that if you're like me, there have been times in my life where I have said, you know, I, I crossed a line. When it comes to sin and God, I, you know, I've had these thoughts where I'm like, man, I might be too far gone. And I know you've, I know you've wrestled with this too at times. Is I might be too far gone. You know, the divorce, I don't know if God could ever love me fully again. You know, I'll show up to church and I'll say the prayer. He'll probably let me into heaven, but I don't know if God could ever really fully love me again after that. Or maybe it's the abortion. Or maybe it's the addiction. Maybe it's the mental illness. Maybe it's the physical illness. Maybe it's that, that family issue. I, again, I don't know what it is for you personally, but I, if you're here today and you've wrestled with this, man, I don't know if I deserve the love of God and for sure he's never gonna use me. Here's what I wanna tell you. You are precisely the person that he would choose. And you're like, Cole, you don't know, you don't know, what, I do, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I did last night. You probably don't even know what I did this morning. And I'm telling you, I don't care because the book of Romans says that where sin increases, grace increases all the more. So if you're sitting in the room today, you're like, I'm the most sinful person in the room. Lucky you, you get the most grace. Isn't that so awesome? So amazing. I love that. 
And I just, I really wanted to tell you this today, is that I just really think that we have convinced ourselves in our lives that we, that we are somehow too far away from the love of God. And I just don't think there's anything anybody could ever do to actually outrun his love. Seriously. And I love that. I want to focus in for a second on the, the, one of these four guys that we read about, um, his name's Peter, and it's kind of coincidental. We're actually starting a series on Peter in a couple weeks, so this will set that up kind of nicely. Um, but Peter was my personal favorite disciple. He always messed everything up. He's awesome. He's exactly like me. <laughs> anyway, Peter, uh, so I guess after this story, they, these guys followed Jesus for about three years then. Uh, before he died. So they spent quite a bit of time with Jesus. And, and the night before Jesus was going to go and, and get killed, um, they gathered together around a dinner table uh, for what we call the Last Supper. And as they're sitting there, uh, Jesus looks over at Peter. This is so fascinating. I, I, I love this story so much. He looks over at Peter and he says, hey, you're going to betray me three times. And Peter's like, I would never, I would never do that. Why? Because Peter had an expectation for himself. What happens? The next day, Jesus is put on trial to be killed. And three different times, people come up to Peter and they say, aren't you with that guy? Like, aren't you a follower of Jesus? And all three times, huh, I never, I've never seen that man. I've never heard of him. Do not associate me. I'm not with him. And he does exactly what Jesus predicted. Now, I want you to sit in this with me for a second. Can Jesus, after this, dies. And can you imagine how Peter would have felt? Like, if we're ranking sins, betraying Jesus right before he's killed probably is pretty high. And I, I, you can just imagine, Peter would have, I, can you imagine just the, the grief, the shame, the, the questioning, like the, the, I really screwed it up. I, there's no taking this one back. My friend is dead and I betrayed him before he died. This is like the worst thing. Do you get what I'm saying? And then Jesus comes back to life as we know. And then in the, the last chapter of the book of John, you should go read this today. It's really, really beautiful. Um, Peter actually goes back to fishing. He's fishing again. He's doing what he did before Jesus. He goes back to his old life, essentially. And they're fishing, and he hears a voice from the shore. It says, you know, cast your net to the other side of the boat. It's better that way. And he turns around, and he sees that it's actually Jesus yelling that to them. And he freaks out and jumps out the boat and swims to shore and to hug, you know, I imagine they hug, all that stuff, and they have a little conversation, and this is my point I'm getting at, is eventually the last thing that Jesus says to Peter in this story, in the same place that he did it the first time, he said, follow me. And Peter literally gets a second chance. I've been in this, I've been in that story before. Many, many of you might know, Addie and I told our story about a year ago or so now. Um, I was a, a pastor in Indiana at, honestly, a dream church. Um, 
we had an awesome future planned out. We were going to go plant a sweet church. We had people that wanted to go with us, like the whole nine yards. A um, couple years into that, I, I had a really, really bad mental breakdown. Um, and I was struggling with a lot of anxiety and depression to the point where, like, my wife was, like, hiding knives in our house. Um, on top of that, I couldn't sleep at night. And my drinking habits got really, really bad. And I was struggling really bad with alcoholism. I was drinking most nights just to fall asleep. Um, and because of that, uh, we lost everything. And when I say that, I mean that. Except for each other and our dog, we, we lost everything. I, I left to do my own kind of version of rehab at the time. Addie uh, quit her job to be able to come with me. We didn't have money because we had no jobs, so we had to sell our house. Um, so we had nothing. And I was real. I was, I'll never forget this. I'd be alone, you know, while everybody, like, we were living with her, her parents, my in-laws. I don't recommend it. <laughs> I, love, I love them. <laughs> but I remember being alone at moments thinking, I, I will never get this back. Like, I, I really believe, y'all, this is what I was born to do. Like, I really believe that. I love it so much. I feel such a calling on being a pastor. It's why I get out of bed in the morning, honestly. And I remember having that feeling. I, I actually crossed the line to the point where I gave up the very thing that I probably loved the most, and there's no way God loves me at least as much anymore, and there's no way he'll ever use me to that extent ever again. And I want to ask you a question. Look, where am I standing right here today? And it's amazing because it has nothing to do with anything I'd, I've done. In fact, on my own, I screwed everything up. I've screwed it all up. But because of Jesus' love for me, he actually has brought me to my, the, what I know now as the greatest church in the freaking world. <laughs> And I, I couldn't have dreamed. I couldn't have even dreamt this up. I, I had, we had our own plans in our mind of this church we were going to start in Phoenix, Arizona, and it was going to be so awesome, and it was all my plans. And who knows that God actually has better plans for me in store when I was actually doing everything wrong. And because of his grace, I, his love couldn't leave me in the place that I was. And I think for you, he wants to do the same thing. Is maybe, you know, in, in addiction circles, we use the term rock bottom a lot. And maybe for some of you in this room, maybe you're, you feel like you're at your rock bottom or you're falling pretty quickly to get there. I just want you to know that once, once you get there, that's exactly the place where Jesus works his greatest miracles. It is, and I've experienced it, and it, it might suck for you hearing that now because you don't feel that, but I promise you, hold on, it's coming. I just, I just think he loves us so much to, to leave us in the places we are. And the, gorge, the, just the, ma the amazing thing about it is that when we grasp on that love, it's so transformative. It completely changes us.
Grace changes you. It does. I'm a completely different person now than I, in fact, it's weird for me because I, I tell Addie this sometimes, you guys don't actually know the unhealthy version of me, which is really weird because there's a lot of people that do because now, to be honest with you, I haven't been anxious or depressed one time in probably two years. And, yeah. And I say, again, I say that not because it has anything to do with me. It's just, I think basically what I'm trying to say is I just think God's coming after us, y'all. <laughs> I think he's coming after us. And I think his love is so strong, it cannot leave us where we're at. I'm going to leave you with that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today, God. I just ask right now, Lord, that you would just magnify your presence right here in this room. Lord, I pray for, for the brokenhearted that you would mend. Lord, I pray for the hopeless that you'd give hope. God, I pray for that person that might be at that rock bottom. God, I pray that right now you would begin to work a miracle in their life, even if they don't know it or don't feel it yet. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are, Lord. Thank you for choosing people that don't deserve it. I'm so thankful. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. It's beautiful, isn't it? I just love, there's a line in that song, uh, there's a grace that I could never add up to be someone that you still want. That's so beautiful. And I just want to tell you as we close today, like the Lord, he, wa he wants you. And it might be for you, it might be your first time giving your life to him. Maybe for you, it's he's, a, he's asking for a part of your life that, that you're still holding on. I, I, I don't know what that is for you, but, but I just, I, I said this while I was up here. I think, I think Jesus is after us. And I, I don't know what that is for you, but that's for you to deal with, with him. But I do want to ask, and can we just bow our heads and close our eyes quick? If you're in this room and today you have been like, wow, you're like, this whole Jesus love thing, I'm all in. I want that. And you've never done that before. I, I want to give you the opportunity to make that decision because I truly think that this is the greatest step that you could ever take in your life. I mean that. And so if that's you and you're here today, I'm just going to have you repeat this prayer in your heart after me. Jesus, I love you. Come into my life. Be, become the Lord of every part of my life. Forgive me for my sins. And transform me. Amen. Hey, real quick, with heads still bowed and eyes closed, if that was you and you just prayed that prayer for the first time ever today, can you just right now really quickly slip your hand up? We want to pray for you, celebrate you really quick. Awesome. Awesome. Lord, thank you so much for this church. I love this church so much, God. You've, you've done so much in just my life through this church, God, I can't even imagine. We couldn't fill a, a hundred books up <laughs> with the stuff you've done in people's lives, God. So I just, I just declare, Lord, keep doing it. We say it all the time here, Jesus, but we mean it. The best is still ahead of us. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, I love you all. You glad you came to church? Have a good week. We'll see you next week.